0: Of Watch the game presented by the Nation Network. I'm your host Sam Blazer and this week I am joined by a big Toronto Maple Leafs personality. I am joined by Leaf, Leafs Geek podcast host and writer for the Leafs Nation or possibly Maple Leafs Nation. I'm not sure how that rebrand is going but I have Ian Tolick with me today. Ian how you doing?
1: I'm, I'm doing great and honestly I'm not sure what the rebrand is. I've always said TLN the Leafs Nation and then whenever I do I try to go to theleafsnation.com it automatically changes it to mapleleafsnation.com so i i'm not sure what happened there i think that the leafs nation was this new thing that started on the on the maple leafs network on channel 500 on your tvs so i think that's what happened there but uh yeah i'm a i'm a big name apparently but definitely not big in stature i'm i'm about five foot nine i'm seth griffith height so (laughs) that's me
0: now People who listen uh, regularly are going to realize that whoever I have on the podcast uh, is normally it's a team that the Blue Jackets have recently played. That's that's where my attention span is, and obviously I watch a lot of league. I watch you know NHL Network. I try to watch multiple games uh, other than the Blue Jackets a week as well. But we're going to talk about the Maple Leafs, and I want to talk about the game specifically last night between the Maple Leafs and the Blue Jackets away. Do we really have to? We, we, we don't we don't have to. We can just go over it really quickly. What did you think of the game itself? What did you think of the Blue Jackets players? And uh, I'll give you my take on some of the Leafs players after the fact.
1: I think clearly you need to stop trying to generate shots and chances because it just wasn't working for you last night. I think clearly all you need to do is have Nazem Kadri, Mitch Marner, and Frederick Anderson, and your team's going to win. But other than that, the game was kind of a disaster, and, and Columbus destroyed them in, in shots. Chances, it was not a good game for the Leafs.
0: It was a really weird game. Uh there was the two early goals by the Leafs. I thought were just very, very bad goaltending on uh, Jonas Corposalo's part. Corposalo normally is pretty solid. He'll have an off game every now and then. If you get on him early, he's kind of kind of get shaken in that way. And then from the other three, there's some bad defensive coverages, a lot of uh, things involving Dean Kukan and David Savard. So it was just it was like a mismatch. Uh, and but I I feel confident with where the team was because they were doing very badly. I think they had five regulation wins in 23 games. Uh, but uh, from like December, like from basically Christmas all the way until about like a week ago, and then they had that two-game winning streak, uh, and then they uh, obviously were stopped by the Leafs. But it's this was a good sign: three straight games with fifty-plus shots. They play the Flyers and uh, Penguins next, so I I have some faith. And I mean, shoot, what do you have the shooting talent that the uh, that the Maple Leafs had? I, it's it's tough I, sometimes to even fault them for what happened. You know, obviously, in the Randy Carlisle days, they get outshot, and you'd be like, what the heck just happened here? I don't understand uh, any of this. But, uh, and the nights where they get outshot, but you also have players like Austin Matthews. I mean, he's shooting almost 18%. You have, like, Connor Brown shooting about 15 I mean, uh, there's not a lot you can do about that.
1: <laughs> that and the that, thing with Austin Matthews is that it's somewhat sustainable. I don't want to say it's completely sustainable, but he generates shots from the high-danger areas like crazy. Like, if you look at his shot locations, they're from the crease. Like he's he's just a freak when it comes to generating chances.
0: And yeah, and last night, I, mean, I think he only ended up having one shot overall in the game. It wasn't his best game whatsoever, but he was. They got still-
1: dominated. That line got hemmed in. It was not a good night for them. And they've had a couple off nights lately, actually. I know uh I mean Bergeron dominated them, and that line's been dominating everyone. But I think one of the lesser known things in Leafsland is that the Austin Matthews line lately, like for the last month or two, maybe even three months, hasn't been as dominant when they started the year. When they started the year, they were dominating shots, dominating chances, one of the best lines in hockey. Lately, they've been kind of underwhelming it and getting outplayed on nights. Like you saw last night against Columbus. It was just, it wasn't a good game for Matthews. It wasn't a good game for Nylander. The the game before that, Nylander had three points. Matthews had three points. They look great, but they haven't been as dominant as they were earlier in the year. And if this is, if the Leafs want to have a chance at competing, I mean, that needs to be one of the more dominant lines in hockey because... I mean, if you have Austin Matthews and William Nylander on the same line and they're getting outshot, your team's just not going to win. That's not a that's not a recipe for success.
0: It isn't. But I mean, I you can't all even though they're getting outshot, you can't necessarily feel bad about who you have out there. By the same token, it's like okay, yeah, this is happening to them, but you know you kind of just have to accept it for what it is.
1: <laughs> you're, you're, you're... I, I compare everything. Like, the way that I try to think about the Leafs to feel better about myself is I think back to the roster that they had towards the end of the tank season when they traded everybody away. And it was names like... I'm trying to even remember. Like, Rich Clune would be on the third line. And you'd have, like, players who I'd never even heard of on the fourth line. And it was just this mix-mash of, of, like, players who were no longer in the league. Brad Boys was on the second line... Uh, P.A. Parento, who I actually love and think is a good player, but he was on the first line. It was kind of a disaster of a roster and it's really great to see how they've turned it around and now they have scoring talent on almost every line and guys like Josh Levo can't get into the lineup and it's, it's a great problem to have, but at the same time, when you have that kind of shooting talent, you have that kind of talent up front, it's frustrating to get hemmed in like you did against uh, Columbus or to get destroyed like you did against Nashville or against Boston. Now, luckily the Leafs, because of Frederick Anderson, we were able to steal two of those games, but I think it is indicative of a bigger problem with the Leafs lately, and I don't think people realize it because they've been winning a lot of games with this new lineup, and it's been fun, and it's been great, but if you look back to when they started with these lines, and it was January 23rd, so if you look at their shot differentials and their chance differentials since January 23rd, they've been significantly outshot, and they've been significantly outchanced as well, and I think last night plays into it a lot, and I think if you obviously get rid of the Nashville-Boston-Columbus games, it looks great, but those count. Those matter. And they got completely destroyed in those games. So it's worrisome to me because I want to convince myself that this is a team that, since the lineup changes, since bringing Kasperi Kapanen in, since bringing Travis Dermott in, since playing more of a up-and-down-the-ice, controlled zone exits, more speed, more flow, I, I want to convince myself that this is a team who can contend. But when you get outshot and you get outchanced, it's not a good thing. It's not a sustainable way of of driving success. We saw that under Randy Carlisle. I'm not saying that the team's anywhere near as bad as those teams, but the trends haven't been great lately. And it's making me think that honestly, I'm leaning towards sell. I know we're gonna talk about it later, but I feel like if you're going to buy, you need to have a, a really good chance at winning a cup. You know, the Nashville's, the Tampa, Boston teams who know that they're gonna go far. With the Leafs, you have to go through the two best teams in the league. You have to go through Boston. You have to go through Tampa to even get to the conference finals. And with the way they've been playing lately, it's hard to see them beating either of those teams in the playoffs, let alone both. So I don't know. It's looking kind of bleak lately. And I know this isn't a very positive thing to say as a Leafs fan. I mean, Frederick Anderson's been phenomenal this year. I think Morgan Riley's been playing out of his mind. I think Zach Hyman's had a much better year than he had last year, but... Overall, collectively, I don't think the team's where they should be when you look at the talent on their roster, and it's frustrating as a fan. But I mean, looking at the ro- looking at the results, they just haven't been there. Especially since November, it, it's been really bad. They've been outshot, and that's not a good thing. That's not what you want for a team that's going to contend for a cup.
0: Now, I want to talk a little bit like big picture for about the big three there: Austin Matthews, uh, Nealander, and Mitch Marner. They're obviously very close in scoring to one another right now, but going to the, like I said, big picture. At the end of their Leafs career, how do you think they end up, one, two, and three, as a, a great Leafs uh, within their within their class, within their you know generation?
1: Um, honestly, I think Master Matthews is going to be the greatest Leaf of all time pretty soon, honestly, in, in that I just think people don't realize how amazing he is, the way that he generates chances. I had Andrew Berkshire on my podcast the other day, and we talked about how he generates tons of Royal Road passes, and those are passes like east-west cross ice from one side of the ice to the other. And he generates so many cross-ice passes into the high danger area, right into the crease. And he generates them himself with the actual shots that he takes. And he generates chances by passing it to players in that spot. And having Zach Hyman on his line isn't converting at the rate that he probably should. But, I mean, he's probably going to be an 80 to 90 point player pretty soon because he's just entering his prime. It's hard to believe he's only 20 years old. Um, I think he surpasses... All of the Leafs, I'm, I'm trying to think who would be the, the best Leafs in Maple Leafs history. You think of like Matt Sundin, you think of Dougie Gilmore, you think of Johnny Bauer. But I think pretty soon Austin Matthews is going to be the greatest Leaf of all time. And when it comes to Marner and Nylander, it's it's tricky. Uh, because Dougie Gilmore, even though he didn't play for the Leafs for a long time, that season he had in 92-93, I think he came second in heart voting. You know, I, I don't think Nylander or, or Marner are ever going to have a season quite like that. But if they play 10, 15 years for the team and they have a couple all-star nominations and they I feel like Mitch Marner, if if everything goes right, can compete for uh, an Art Ross trophy just with how many assists that guy can put up. But I I think what you're looking at in the long run is Austin Matthews goes down as the greatest leaf of all time and Marner and Nylander, if everything breaks right, hopefully are in the top 10. I was thinking top five, but it's, it's tough. It's tough to say, but Austin Matthews, I think unquestionably is going to be the best leaf of all time, barring some kind of major injury.
0: And this is all with, you know, Injuries notwithstanding, and everything. This is just potential alone. And I, I, love going into those conversations because you always end up wanting to go on the high end of it. And I think that you, have, I think there is a very real possibility, Matthews, does that. I mean, just watching him play. I mean, there was a, a touch pass. I forget who it was too. It may have been the Hyman last night, and it was just one of those things where you watch it happen and you go, "Oh my God, that's uh, that's uh, the." You're in traffic, you're only throwing the puck back with such touch to it, and then you're able to get uh, like an amazing shot off in the process. And it's a move that I think not even five, six people can do in uh, the league. And it was such a tiny play. And it's just one of those things that you know he's going to be special. And it's just amazing to watch him night in and night out. So I, I I'm a big fan of all three of them.
1: I find when it comes to Matthews, it almost gets hyperbolic and it's it's tough to come up with new things to talk about. Like, Austin Matthews is good at hockey. Like, yeah, thanks, Ian. Great point. Like, I'm not going to write an article about it because everyone knows Austin Matthews is good, but I think sometimes we forget just how good he is at creating offense and, and he's basically a one-man scoring chance. I mean, when he's on the ice, the team generates a crazy amount of chances from the low slot, from right and tight, right near the crease. And that's amazing. But just to pump the brakes on him a little bit, I think there's a a fair criticism of him, especially lately, is that when he faces the top competition in the NHL, when he faces opposing top centers like Patrice Bergeron, like, I'm trying to think who he's gone up against recently, uh, who are some other players that he, that he struggled against, I'm thinking like Jonathan Taves, like, mm-hmm. when you look at his matchups, um, particularly on the road, because When he's at home, he's been sheltered a little bit because the Nazem Kadri line will face the tough competition. When when Matthews is on the road, other teams are putting their top units against him because the away team doesn't get last change. It's the home team who gets last change. So when Matthews is on the road, his numbers drop considerably. Like, he breaks even, which is, you know, good against top competition, but to be one of the truly upper echelon players in the league, you need to do more than just break even against the best players in the world. You need to outplay them. So... I think he's great, I think he's phenomenal, and I think he has a chance to become the second-best player in the world sooner rather than later. But I think he still needs to take that next level and dominate against opposing top centers, and he's not there yet, unfortunately.
0: Another player I want to talk to you about is Nazem Kadri, who obviously had a five-point night. He did such an amazing job last night, kind of just finding the areas, getting to the spots where they needed him, and he was able to succeed from there. I, th- I guess the question I want to ask you about Kadri is: Would you say he's properly rated, or would you say that he's underrated in like both within you know Toronto and also outside of it? Because it feels like he doesn't get the proper due, but then he'll put up these games like this, and you're like, oh yeah, he can do that every once in a while.
1: I think it's funny because with any Toronto Maple Leaf, we always joke like, oh, how can anyone possibly be underrated? Like, I know there was a story earlier in the year, I think TSM put it out, is, is Austin Matthews getting the credit he deserves and everyone joked about it. Like, no, you don't talk about Austin Matthews enough, please give the Leafs more media attention, that's what they need. Like, it's a running joke that Toronto is, you know, the the centre of the hockey universe and everyone's talking about them way too much, so... From an outside fan, if I'm a fan of like, you know, the Ottawa Senators or the Montreal Canadiens or the Buffalo Sabres, I'm going, oh my God, can we please stop talking about the Leafs? But when it comes to Nazem Kadri, I think there's an argument to be made that he's extremely underrated. I think last season, I think you can make the argument that he was the Leafs' best player last season. And I know that's crazy because Austin Matthews had 40 goals, but let me just explain my reasoning. He went up against extremely tough competition last year, and his most common line mates were Leo Komarov and Connor Brown. And this isn't to take anything away from those players, but they're third-line players, realistically. Leo Komarov, I mean, isn't giving you anything offensively. And Connor Brown, as much as I love him, there's no evidence that he really drives play. Throughout his career, his line mates always do better without him than they do with him. It was really Kadri who was driving that line. If you look at any kind of the, the closer numbers, like controlled zone exits, controlled zone entries, shot generation, shot assists, it was Nazem Kadri who was driving that line. He was doing everything for that line. And despite facing some of the toughest competition in the league, he came out on top, both in shots and chances, and it was him doing everything, essentially. It wasn't Leo Komarov who was driving the puck up the ice. It wasn't Connor Brown going end-to-end with the puck. It was Nazem Kadri doing it. And despite facing the toughest competition in the league, which allowed Austin Matthews to be more sheltered, which allowed Bozak and JVR to be more sheltered, he came out on top, and he had over 60 points last year, over 30 goals. It was just such a phenomenal season, and I think it went... A little bit underrated because of how amazing Marner and Nylander and Matthews' offensive production is. But I think Kadri got kind of lost in the shuffle last year. This year, Leo Komarov's drop-off was was very noticeable, and instead of getting less minutes, he got more minutes for most of the year until he finally got moved to the fourth line. But I think when Kadri is actually playing with players who can do things, like Mitch Marner, it's just unbelievable. That line has been completely unstoppable for the last two or three weeks since they got assembled, and... Even though the team got outplayed last night, there was one line that broke even in shot differential. It was the Nazem Kadri line. If you look at a game where the Leafs play decently, you'll see most of the Leafs doing all right, you know, break even, shot differential. And the Kadri line will be like plus 10 in shot differential. It's just insane how good Nazem Kadri is when he plays with good players. Because throughout his career, if you look at his line mates, they've been terrible. He's played with like his most common partner in 1560, I think was Michael Grabner and Sean Mathias, or, or... PA he didn't play with phenomenal players. He's always played with scrubs. He's always played with Leo Komarov for the past couple years. And I love Leo Komarov. I think he's an amazing four-tracker. I think he's a great defensive player. But when you're on a two-on-one with Leo Komarov, you don't pass it because he can't finish. He can't mm-hmm. score. I think Kasperi Kaepernick was on a two-on-one last night. Leo Komarov was there. He tried to pass it. And everyone online was like, no, Kasperi. You can't pass that. <laughs> you you got to know. You got to learn. Like Nazem Kadri learned that a while ago that you can't pass it to Kamarov on a two-on-one. So despite playing with really like third-line talents over the last couple years, Kadri's been able to drive play against tough competition. This is the first time he's had two good line mates. I think, in his career, honestly. I'm thinking back to when he had Joffrey Lupo and like Mason Raymond. But I mean, I, I've even they were like not that great. And especially defensively, they were atrocious. He has Marlow and Marner now, and they've been dominant for the past two or three weeks. They've been the brightest spot on the team. I think Kadri is underrated. I think that there's an argument to be made that he's among the top 30 centers in the NHL. I don't know if that makes you a first-line center, but I think he's one of the 20 to 25 best centers on the planet, and if you can play that on your second or third line, you're doing all right.
0: I think especially given his cap hit as well. I mean, shoot, I don't think there's a better value in the league for what he brings. And it's just insane that they were able to, you know, hold him down at the four, like four point five, until twenty two, twenty three. I think,
1: yeah, yeah. And he was coming off of a really low shooting percentage year, but if you looked at any of the numbers, he was generating chances like crazy, despite playing with weak line mates and facing tough competition. And then the next year, the shooting percentage bounced back, and he looks amazing. So, you know, they just got kind of lucky there. I'm hoping the same thing kind of happens with Nylander this year.
0: I, so the next thing I wanted to talk about is I wanted to talk about. Uh, JVR, but then I look down the list and I go, okay, there's Tyler Bozak there as well, and we already talked a little bit about the trade deadline and about what the team should do there. And I now it's making me, right, okay, we need to jump into it. <laughs> this is what needs to happen. When you look at the the money that's coming off the books for the uh, the Maple Leafs, I mean, they're gonna have about 25 million in projected cap space next off season, and I think if they could let you know Bozak walk, they could let Van Reemsdyke walk on both ends. I think Bozak is the one out of the, out of all, either of them that you should trade just cuz, you know, you know you're not going to re-sign him Van Reemstike, you know, there's something that could be done there but doesn't seem likely. What are what are your thoughts on the I guess the approach, those two players and anything else really that's kind of surrounding the Leafs at this time uh, in regards to the trade deadline?
1: I think what's tricky with Bozak is that if you look at the Leafs' center depth, it's non-existent after him. I mean, Dominic Moore, uh, you can see it whenever the Leafs play, is that sometimes he'll play Bozak on the fourth line, sometimes he'll play Matthews on the fourth line. Babcock just doesn't trust Dominic Moore. They tried Frederick Gauthier there. He didn't work out. Um, I mean, they have Ben Smith in the wings, who's just, you know, a phenomenal player. But the Leafs have no center depth. If you look even throughout the organization, like in the prospect level. Who in their organization can you see coming into the team and, and playing significant minutes next year? There's really no one. Adam Brooks hasn't been that great. And I'm trying to think of other center prospects they have that are that are close to NHL-ready. Miro Altonen was brought over from Europe, and he's potentially someone you could squeak in there. But I think the bigger point is that if the Leafs were to trade Tyler Bozak this season, who would play center? In theory, you could try William Nylander there, but I think for a team that's going into the playoffs experimenting with Nylander at center might be a bit late in the year to try that so Mm -hmm. as weird as this sounds I think trading Tyler Bozak even if you assume he's gone this offseason I can understand why you'd want to keep him just because you have absolutely nothing else there with JVR I think it's an interesting scenario because if you're going to re-sign him and this is a debatable topic that you know we could definitely get into but if you're going to re-sign JVR then you, then you have to keep him because you can't trade a guy away and then come back to him in two months and say, hey, want to sign a long-term extension? with Because I feel like as much as we're numbers guys and we say, well, you can obviously do that and you cash in, you can get some assets. I think when you look at the human side of things and the fact that he's been with the team for five plus years, trading him mid-season when the team that he's grown up with is finally looking like they might make a playoff run, I feel like that would rub him the wrong way. That would hurt him and he wouldn't want to come back with the team. So if you're going to want to re-sign him, you have to keep him. But if you've decided that you know, the risk of signing a 29-year-old winger who's not effective defensively and is coming off of a career-high goal year, you don't want to sign that type of player because historically that's gone south. When you look at guys like Louis Erickson, when you look at guys like Andrew Ladd, Milan Lucic, those contracts went south in a hurry. They went south in years one and two, not six and seven, which uh, Dave Nonis talked about. But uh, with, uh, with JVR, if you're going to trade him, I think that there's an argument to me that you can bring in some solid wingers. Josh Levo might actually be able to play. Um, Andreas Janssen might be able to play. And I think you can get a haul for JVR. I think you could get, like, an elite prospect like Jordan Cairo from St. Louis. I've been joking that they should try to trade JVR to Nashville for Ely Tolvanen because he's one of my favorite prospects in the world. He's just destroying the KHL as an 18-year-old. But it's an interesting debate to get into. I'm honestly not sure where I fall on it because it's— It's a really tricky situation to be in, but I like JVR. I think he's a really good player, but do you re-sign him? Do you keep him as an own rental? Do you trade him? It's a really tough conversation in Leafs Nation these days, and I'm not even sure where I fall, to be honest.
0: As a player, you know, the thing that I find interesting about JVR is – He's just such a weapon on the power play. You know a lot of times they talk about the net front presences and how they can just be so darn effective. He's someone that, like, he gets the puck down there, and he has the vision and he has the patience. When you're going to get checked, you're going to have somebody on the penalty kill, you know, putting a stick right in your gut, and he's able to find the player. Like, how invaluable is that? I feel like that's something that they, the, the, the Leafs would miss on the power play uh, if they were to get him, and I don't know if there's a, like, another kind of presence that could do that. Doesn't and you know
1: me, I'm a big nerd. I've tried to find a way to quantify it. So what I looked at is I looked at players on the power play who have the highest expected shooting percentage because re- logically they would be the players who are shooting from very close to the net. I'm like, all right, let's look at the top 20 there. Those are the net front presences in the NHL. Those are guys like Wayne Simmons, JVR, Joe, Joe Pavelski, are um, some other ones, Nick Foligno, Those are the best, these are the net front presence guys in the league. And then what I did, I sorted by points per 60 and I sorted by assists per 60. JVR is the only goal scorer in tight who also generates assists from the net front role. And it's rare. No one really does it because, think about it, it's hard to be a playmaker from the crease. So JVR's value on the power play, I don't think anyone can deny that he's valuable there. I think the argument for moving on from him is that you have someone like Austin Matthews, and William Nylander who you can just bump their power play time way up Mm -hmm. not we're not saying that you can replace what JVR does because you can't you're not going to find a player who can do what he does you can't just stick Josh Levo there and say hey just be the right-handed JVR (laughs) it doesn't work that way you can't stick Leo Komarov there and say hey be a good net front presence because they've tried that over the last two years and he sucks at it I I love Komarov I think he's great but you can't replicate what JVR does because you can't replicate that skill set he's One of the very few in the league who has hands in tight to roof a goalie from the top of the crease. He can slide it over to Bozak or Kadri for a tap, and he's so good at what he does. So you're not going to replace that. You have to accept the fact that you can't replace those goals. You can't replace those assists on the power play. Maybe what you can do is say, okay, we're going to stack power play one. We're going to put Matthews, Nylander. We might even throw Marner on there as well and try to replicate what the Pittsburgh Penguins do. Just throw all your stars on the ice and dominate for like a minute minute 20, minute 30, and then the last 30 seconds, your power play is going to suck. No one's really going to do much because you're going to be left with your second, third, fourth liners. But maybe you can replicate the production by giving Austin Matthews and William Nylander more time in the power play. That would be the counter argument. I'm not sure if it would because I think right now what they have is two great power play units, and I don't think any team in the league really has that. I think you have teams in the league who have a better – individual power play unit like tampa bay's first unit is completely unstoppable pittsburgh's first unit is completely unstoppable dallas's first unit is really really good but by having two great power play units right now the Leafs are just so good at they can for the first minute of the power play generate tons of chances or maybe it doesn't go so well the first minute didn't go so well that's all right second unit matthews and neilator come out and they generate offense so i think overall the power play goals are going to suffer but maybe that can be offset by just Force feeding Matthews and Nylander power play time. It's it's tough to say, but I'd be curious to see what the difference is if they move on from him.
0: For sure, and I find I it's one of those things that you see it all the time. There's a lot of uh, this is going to sound like a backhanded compliment, but there's a lot of Twitter, you know, systems people. And that's like I said, it sounds like a backhanded compliment, but there's people that you know do systems work and they just post it on Twitter. They post it on the website that they write for, and I find it so interesting because the Blue Jackets run a diamond and last year when they had Sam Gagne and they had Nick Foligno, they were able to run it in such a, such a way where Foligno could go be, uh, go below the goal line, find someone they could give it to Gagne. They could give it to Atkinson. They could give it to Wenberg. And now this year they don't have Gagne. They still, they've moved uh, Wenberg on one of the half walls and they've moved, but then now they've moved him down low as a net front presence. And they're kind of trying to use him in that same JVR role where it's like, okay, we're going to put you down there, but, we're gonna make you be a passer, and if you need to, you can take a shot or two. And it's been, and that's kind of the been the turning point of this year with their power play is putting him down there at the net front, and he's been able to find Atkinson, Panarin, Jones, uh, Felino on that power play, and I find it so fascinating. How he's being used now because he was on the half wall earlier in the year, and for whatever reason, it, it just wasn't working because he had to cross the ice, Artemi Panarin. So every single time the cross ice pass was being covered because Wenberg is like notoriously known. Uh, I'm not sure if it's known throughout the league, but I know it's known within the Blue Jackets organization and known throughout uh, Blue Jackets fandom that Wenberg does just does not shoot like ever. Ever. There
1: was a, there, I think there was a running joke, and wasn't it a practice where John Tortorella put, like, five pucks next to him on a power play unit? And he's like, just shoot. Shoot this one. Shoot that one. Shoot the next one. He, like, blew a whistle and, like, made the entire team watch to embarrass him, but, like, he never shoots on the power play, ever.
0: He does not. And, and one of the weirdest things ever, and it had to have been some switch in his North American game or some coach being like, okay, this is how you need to play, is that when he played in the Swedish Hockey League, he scored goals often. Like, he was constantly scoring goals. And his last year before he came over, I think he played in about 30 games, and he had 16 goals and 5 assists. And it's like, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever.
1: What you were referring to with the power play earlier, about moving guys around and finding out where they work the best, I'm thinking uh, of Pittsburgh when they realized that Malcolm was most effective higher, you know, towards, I don't want to say the blue line, but maybe uh, the top of the circle, and Crosby was a bit more effective lower, like closer to the goal line, mm-hmm. and that way they were get able to get everyone on the ice at the same time, and they moved Kessel over to the top of the left circle, and that's been their optimal power play unit. And you can, with Kessel on the top of the left circle, Latang at the point, Malcolm at the top of the right circle, Crosby kind of, I don't even know how to describe it, down towards the right and like the bottom of the circle, you can throw whoever you want in the middle of that in front of the net, you can throw Hornquist there is probably who they they go with, and that is the optimal setup for them. I'm curious to see if the Leafs could do something similar with Matthews, Nylander, and Marner. Maybe you can have Nylander on the left side, Marner towards the top of the right circle, and maybe Austin Matthews lower to the goal line, so maybe he can also generate some shots and drive in tight. I'm not sure what the optimal setup would be, but I think it's an interesting way of looking at, here's a team who had three elite forwards and a, and a great point defenseman, and they were able to fit them all into one unit. The Leafs haven't tried it yet, I'm curious to see if they could pull something like that off because man, it'll be fun to watch.
0: And I love that tinkering because, of course, like the uh, people get asked about the power play. Now uh, the official stance, and this is not a joke whatsoever, is that uh, John Tortorella says he will not be talking about the power play again this year because it was so bad during the beginning of the year. And so even now, when it's like been a bit more successful, I mean, I think I believe they're still last in the league in power play. But there's like, but since I think it was early December, I think they're like, you know, just above middle of the pack, but it's just so bad at the beginning of the year, like just no goals whatsoever. He's just being asked about it now. He'll just like, yeah, I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> and I find that so funny, but you can, but you see the players moved around and here, like, you see the tinkering. Cause they were just like, all right, this is what we want because this makes sense. You know, having Wenberg here, having Panarin here and you don't really, you can't really blame them for that positioning. Cause it's like, yeah, that why, why wouldn't that make sense? Uh, to have those players there. It's very—it's just fascinating to see how different players are used in the different ways that they're uh, utilized. Now, I want to talk a little other thing about the Leafs that's kind of concerning, and it kind of also centers around the trade deadline as well, is that they're at 50 contracts. And there's a couple of players, they're kind of hanging around, they're not playing in the games, not necessarily sure how they're going to be utilized moving forward. You call is
1: it gonna... Island up here.
0: <laughs> well, yep. I, I, I know all about that, but I'm talking about, like, uh, Sashnikov, and I'm talking about Levo, is there going to be a deal made, or is this going to be something that you think maybe a minor league trade? Uh, how exactly do you think that's going to play out?
1: And speaking of Dot Island, I mean, where's Matt Martin been for the last couple weeks? Right. You know, he, he hasn't played, no one's really talking about him. I, it's funny, I have no inside information, so I, I can only speculate, but my uh, my guess would be that they're looking to move Matt Martin because, they, frankly, they haven't played him in the last three weeks. Since Kasperi Kapanen came up, I mean, Babcock said this guy's an elite penalty killer. I like the way he plays. And watching the games, you can't blame him. Casper Kapanen's been amazing. Playing on the fourth line is honestly—I don't want to say an insult, but it's—it's it's lower than he probably should be playing. He—he he already looks like a top nine NHL forward. He looks like a a Carl Haglin, a Michael Grabner, someone who's just speed can change the game. Amazing penalty killer. Can get in on the forecheck. Is great on the backcheck. He's just a really effective player. So you can't take him out of the lineup. If you do, then. Everything you preached about meritocracy would be a lie. Uh, I mean, he did that with Josh Levo last year, so it is possible. But he hasn't done it over the last three weeks, so I have to think that this team has basically moved on from Matt Martin, which is a shocker. They went—he went from being a staple in the lineup every single night. Um, Mike Babcock was asked earlier in the year, like, "Yeah, uh, Matt Martin's still uh, in the lineup tonight. Is there any chance he comes out?" He's like, "Nope, he's not coming out." And ask me again in a month, he, he won't come out. And <laughs> All of a sudden, boom, he's out and never to be seen again. So my guess, and this is just speculation, my guess is that they're trying to move him to a team without taking on salary, without eating salary, even if it means a poor return, um, because they're already eating on Phil Kessel for the next, what, one, two, three, four, five years, five more years of Kessel. Um, You can only retain on three contracts at once, so if you're retaining on Matt Martin for the next three years, that really limits your flexibility to eat on any other contracts. You'd only be able to eat on one more. So I think they'd like that flexibility to not eat money on him. Uh I have to think that they don't want to trade Sashnikov or Levo. If for nothing else, they're 24 years old. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're RFAs. You have control over them. They're going to be cheap. You can be effective. I know Josh Levo has said, like, play me or trade me. But the fact of the matter is he signed a one-year extension, and he has absolutely no leverage. They can hold on to him if they if they want to. Oh, yeah. So... Uh Nikita Sashikov has a bit more leverage. He could go back to Russia, you know, so I'm curious to see what happens there. I'm, it's funny looking at cap friendly and seeing that he's on the I r because everyone and their mother knows he's not injured, but uh, I guess that's just another Lou poll in the in the CBA, but that's
0: pretty good. <laughs> eh, I'm glad you like that. I'm glad you like I, that, but I, i'm I'm sure I'm like the only person that hasn't heard that yet. I'm sure that's been used before, and I'm like, ah. Oh. Oh my it's, gosh. Easy.
1: it's easy, and I love dad jokes, but um, I don't know. I, I don't see them wanting to move on from Sashnikov or Levo. They protected Levo in the expansion draft. They clearly see some kind of value in him. I'm wondering if he's in the plans next year when they foresee moving on from a couple players like Komarov, Bozak, JVR. I'm not sure who they move on from. Uh, Dominic Moore, you can guarantee, won't be back. But again, he plays center, so that's not a position that Sashnikov or, or Levo will be able to fill, but... I don't think that they would want to move on from those players if they could avoid it. And the best way to avoid it right now would be trading Matt Martin or doing the commonsensical thing and, and waving Roman Polak. But we all know that's never going to happen. So just got to deal won't. with that.
0: It will not. But uh, now that actually does make me want to move over to the defense because we haven't talked about that too much, and I don't want to get into the talk about Riley and Gardner because I know like some people want to talk and you know rip on like what they are as players. But I I just believe that they're solid all around. But what I you did f-
1: write about that dude Morgan Riley the other day? So. I know yeah, it's his- exactly. <laughs> That's a plug right there. That's
0: a plug right there. Um. Now. I I got a I kind of have a question for you in regards to the scouting because the young defensemen that are coming up you know Dermot Carrick, uh, obvi- well obviously Carrick was acquired via trade and Holt and Justin Holt is a little older, but then you have like you know Hainsey and you have Polak. Do you think there's a real stark difference between the amateur scouting and possibly the professional pro scouting?
1: That's a really interesting question. I'm trying to address it because I don't think you should really compare Ron Hainsey and Roman Polak. I think True, Roman, true. Like I don't think Roman Polak's an NHL player, and I think Ron Hainsey can be a really effective number four used honestly, the way he's used right now, I like it, other than the fact that he's playing tough competition. I feel like if you played him on a second pairing with Jake Gardner and forced Fed him PK time, I think that would be a really good use for him. I think what the Leafs are are clearly missing is a number two right handed defenseman. I think if you had Morgan Riley playing with someone like Chris Tanev, who I won't stop talking about. And no, I refuse to because <laughs> Vancouver is rebuilding, even though they just re signed Jim Benning to a three year deal, which I can't understand. But I mean, if, if the Leafs were to trade for him, hypothetically, you could have Riley Tanev face tough competition. You could have Gardner and Hainsey on a second pairing. And then you could have Dermot Zaitsev on a third pairing. And I, I guess this speaks to. What I think about Nikita Zaitsev, I don't think that's a good contract. I don't think he's played too well lately. I'm hoping he can play better, but as of right now, he just he hasn't been very effective. But what you asked me was about the pro scouting versus the 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 rookie scouting. It's tough because if you look at the Leafs last two drafts and you look at their later round picks, they've been picking these six foot five defensemen who can't skate. They've been picking guys like Keaton Middleton, Nicholas Mattinen, um Gordeev's an interesting one cuz he can kind of skate. You you probably have no clue who I'm talking about, but hardcore Leafs fans will know who I'm talking about. Um in the second round they draft this uh 6 foot 7 guy from Kingston, Emili Rasinen, who is to me actually intriguing because the the problem I have with drafting tall defensemen who can't skate is, you know, the the fact that best case scenario you're hoping for a Martin Marincin who the Leafs waived and don't look like he's in the future plans and I'm like, "Well, that's that's ideally what you can become is a shot suppressing guy who takes away the blue line and can't move the puck because that's at the junior level. If you can't move the puck, you're not going to be able to move it at the NHL level. But um, uh, the thing with Rasmussen is that he actually put up points in junior. And there's this really uh, interesting research you can look at from guys like Garrett hole or who's the guy who's working for Florida. Now I'm I'm drawing a blank. He worked with money puck. Um, Uh,
0: Josh Weissbach.
1: Josh Weiss. Honestly, it wasn't even him. It was um, th- uh, that's offside on Twitter. What, what's his name? Oh, uh, Reese Jessup. Yeah, Reese Jessup. Sorry. So Reese Jessup and Garrett Hole have done a bunch of research on point production and how it relates to future NHL success. So point production in junior, let's say, um, and defensemen drafted in the first round who have poor point production versus defensemen drafted in the first round who have great point production. The defensemen have the great point production become NHL offers, become NHL players much more often. If you look at the second round, it's the same thing. Guys with poor point production versus guys with great point production, the great point producers do a lot better. So I get frustrated when the Leafs take someone like Keaton Middleton or they take someone like Nicholas Matten because tall dude with no point production in junior in his draft year. There's a very low success rate. If you look at any kind of model like PGPS, which is what the Canucks Army guys use, or DEV, which is publicly available by someone like Hayden Speak, it shows that these guys have a very low statistical chance of making the NHL. Whereas if you look at guys with high point production, much higher percentage of making the NHL. So I get frustrated when I see them draft these, these trees who can't skate or the, you know, the quote-unquote refrigerator types. Uh I'm sh- not I'm not as high on the leaf scouting as, as most people. I've been frustrated with their last the 2016 draft. I hated the 2017 draft. I have some reservations. I I, I didn't love it, I didn't hate it. It was somewhere in the middle. I loved the Timothy Luliergrim pick, but after that, I was a bit underwhelmed. And when you ask if there's a difference between the, the pro scouting and the and the rookie scouting, honestly, I don't think so, but I think there was a big mentality shift from 2015 to 2016 when Lou Morello came in when you look at the 2015 draft lots of smaller skilled players uh you know who play the modern game you look since Lou Lamarello came over more taller bigger physical guys who don't have as much skill don't have as much point production which guys become NHL players and top six NHL players more often it was the more skilled types but who have they been drafting lately the more grittier types. So I'm not a fan of the direction they've gone in there over the last two years. And it's why I advocate for someone like Kyle Dubas taking over instead of Lou Lamorello being re-signed. But um, honestly, I, I think that there's still a bit of old school mentality in, in the Leafs organization because I feel like Lou Lamorello and Mike Babcock have the the most say when it comes to player acquisition. And You look at Roman Polak being re-signed. You look at the Matt Martin contract from last offseason. You look at... Their drafts over the past two years, there've just been some weird decisions. And as much as there have been good decisions and, you know, trading Faneuf while not eating any salary was a miracle on on Bay Street. I don't know how that happened. You look at um, the, the Nazem Kadri contract looks phenomenal. The Morgan Riley contract is starting to look really great. But the Nikita Zaitsev contract does not look good. And uh, I think this offseason will be really telling to see where the Leafs are going to be going in the next few years.
0: Oh, for sure. And I what's very interesting when you're describing that, all I can think about is this is the, almost the exact same, uh, or at least similar draft strategy to the Blue Jackets. I mean, they don't miss on the can't-miss players. You know, the Blue Jackets desperately needed a defenseman that could step in uh very soon. It was Hannafin, then Provorov, and then Lorensky basically fell in their lap. And so they're like, obviously you're not going to miss on that. But the, the, if you look at the second or third round defenseman that the Blue Jackets drafted under Jarmo you know, Kekalainen, they aren't very. They haven't really panned out. You have Ryan Collins. Dylan Hetherington has had a couple games for the Stars after they traded him for Lori Korpakovsky. They're just not very. They're, they're not panning out. But then what's interesting is that they've taken some risks on some uh, overagers, and they're like looking very very good right now. Uh, Marcus Nudavara is playing in the uh, NHL right now. They tried to get Vladislav Gavrikov to come over. He plays for Sky, I believe, P- Saint Petersburg. And he uh, is playing for Russia in the Olympics, and he's played in the past couple of world championships, and he's 22, 23. I was going to say,
1: anytime you play for St. Petersburg, that's like the KHL all-star team, so you know you're pretty good if you can make St. Petersburg's roster.
0: Exactly. And so I'm always like, okay... They're they're able to find the overagers. They're able to find these can not miss players, and they've been doing a good job in the middle rounds, uh, finding scores and you know taking risks on some guys who are like, okay, this guy is in like the Swedish like junior league and he's over a point per game, and you're like, you know what, I wouldn't have thought of him. And he's like five foot nine and he skates like the wind. And so it's such a. Natalia weird...
1: Bramov comes to mind. Yeah, I wanted exactly. to, the Leafs to draft him. They passed on him three times, and I bring up I bring it up a lot because the 2016 draft. I mean. Korshkov's become a punchline at this point, but he's he's looking decent in the KHL. He's looking like a guy who's like a solid prospect. But when you take him over guys like Debrinkat and Sam Girard and Vitaly Bramov and Adam Fox, it's just it's frustrating. And uh, well, it's funny too. I mean, that, that's Jeremy one thing you have going. For
0: you. Oh, sorry, go on.
1: I was just gonna say, Bramov's one thing you have going for you. Like that guy looks uh, excellent. Looks like he can be a top six NHL player. The,
0: the pipe the pipeline right now is kind of low because they did have Anderson. They did have Bjorkstrand. They, uh Milano's injured right now, and he was someone. Who you know very high upside as well. They have a couple players down in the AHL right now, but they have a lot of guys who next year are going to be a uh, uh, playing for uh, Cleveland, and it'll be interesting to see how they do. But I find it very uh, that the two draft strategies seem to be closer than I really realized because they they they're picking some overagers, they're picking uh, some tall defensemen, but the the skill that's there, it's like okay, you really can't miss on this one. That it's the, they seem to be doing pretty well on, and so. I guess here's the question for me is, like, we talk a little bit about the, those type of players, is the Marlies, they've had some players that come up and people are like, where the heck did these guys come from? Who is the next player on the Marlies that's going to step up and, you're, and everyone's going to be like, why the hell did this guy not get picked in the draft? Because uh, it seems like it's been happening every single month. Justin Hole's like, the most recent one where, I mean, he's been there, obviously, for a little bit, but he seems to be the most recent one where people are like, wow, what, what the heck? How, Where did this guy come from? Is, so, is it going to be Andre so under- Just
1: I was gonna say, just so I understand the question, is is it about guys who like were undrafted and are crazy success stories, or is it guys like my dad didn't know who Kesbury Captain was until he came up with the Leafs and he looks amazing, and the same thing with Travis Dermott. Like, I feel like if you're paying close attention to the Marleys, like, you already know who these players are. But is the question for? I, I guess like, my who's question,
0: that- I, my question is for people that don't pay attention to the Leafs and the Marlies as much. Say, if you're an Avalanche fan or if you're like a Panthers fan listening. Uh, that you think to yourself, okay, who the heck is this? Who the heck is this player, and where the heck did he come from? Because I mean, like you have Jeremy Bracco as well, who's like another guy, you know, has a pedigree to him, and he could do it. Like and Adam Brooks was tearing up the uh, WHL. Is which player on the Marlies do you think is going to take the next step? And everyone's going to be like, son of a gun, where did this guy come from?
1: I I think it has to be Andreas Janssen. I really hope he makes the Leafs next year because he deserves to. I, uh, Kapanen is phenomenal. I love him. Travis Dermott is excellent. I think Andreas Janssen is almost as good as those players. I don't think he's quite on their tier. I think Kapanen is a top-six talent. I think Travis Dermott has top four potential. I am i don't think Andreas Janssen has top-six potential, but what I will say is middle-six. I think you can play him on a third line, and if there's an injury, he can definitely step into a second-line role. I love this guy. He can skate. He can handle the puck. His zone entries and zone exits are excellent. He's... Feisty for his size, like he can get into the corners and win some battles. He's not a Zach Hyman, he's not a Matt Martin, he's not an animal on the forecheck, but he's an effective player. He's defensively responsible. He can create. He can score himself. He's just he's been on fire for the past couple weeks, uh like over a point per game over the past couple weeks. the The Marlies haven't they've had what one loss in the last month and a half. They've they're, just been compl- they've been unstoppable. Good. Yeah, and Andreas Johnson's been their best player and. He deserves a spot on the Leafs next year. The problem is, so does Levo. So does Sashnikov. So do a lot of players. And who's going to get them? That's yet to be seen. And plus, I, I speculate that they're going to bring in another veteran if Komarov, JVR, and uh, Bozak all leave because they seem to value the veteran presences in the room with how young their roster is. And it, you know, as nerds, we always think that these things are overvalued. But considering the core of your roster can't drink on the road, I mean, there are some some off ice things to be taken into account, so I can understand valuing a veteran presence in the room. So there are going to be so many good players for the Leafs on the wing, and not enough spots. I, I hope Janssen makes it. I'm not sure if he will, but man, he can play. He is excellent. I really like watching him play.
0: That's awesome. There, and that's what's uh, I wouldn't say unfair, but if you know if you're someone. Who doesn't follow the Leafs? And it's like they keep reloading. It doesn't matter, and that's why I bring up, you know, those trades. Like you could, you could conceivably trade two, three players on the like the roster of the Leafs right now, fill them with uh, uh, players from the AHL, and I think you'd have little to no drop off, and in fact, you may even have an improvement.
1: Yeah, like What's- if you trade Komarov, Soshnikov could take over in a heartbeat. If you traded even someone as talented as JVR there are forwards with scoring talent who can help take over and then you just give Matthews and Nylander more power play time, maybe you can help offset some of that value. So I feel like there are so many teams who would be begging for the Leafs' depth on the wing. The problem is the Leafs don't have the depth on defense and they don't have the depth down the middle at center. They do when it comes to Matthews, Kadri, and potentially Nylander if he can play center, but after that it's bleak and they have really nothing at center. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if in the next couple drafts the Leafs go heavy on defense and centers because they, they just have nothing at the prospect level other than hopefully Adam Brooks turns into something. I'm not sure if he does, but uh, very, very little at the at the center position and very little on defense other than golden boy Timothy Lilligren, who I also love.
0: <laughs> All right, now I have one last question for you before I let you go, and Ian, it's been awesome having you on. Uh, where do you think that the uh, Leafs end this season? Do they, uh, are they? I think they missed the playoffs.
1: Round? I think eighteen wheeler off the cliff.
0: And <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say when you said that, I was like, wait, hold on a second. I don't even think that's an option. No. Uh, do they? They're make... up
1: what thirteen points on yeah.
0: Florida? Like it's not even close. <laughs> do you think that they make the? Uh, do you think? Well, obviously they make the playoffs, but I mean, do you think they win a couple rounds? Where do you, Where do you like realistically see them and ending up at a season's end?
1: I think. Um... The hard part about them is it's kind of the situation that as a Columbus fan you were in last year. You could have a Mm -hmm. top 10 team in the NHL, but if you have to face the best team in the NHL in the first round, you can go out and people will be frustrated with your first round loss. But I mean, anyone would have lost to that team. You know what I mean? Like if Tampa runs the table, is it going to be a lost season if the Leafs go out in six in the first round? I mean, I don't think so. I think it's just... A, a bad playoff format, and and B, it's it's it, there's no shame in losing to an excellent team like Tampa or Boston. I think I was talking to Andrew Berkshire thought they were a top 10 NHL team. He thought they were the fourth best team in the East. I'm not sure if I would go that high, but I think that if they were in a better matchup, they could easily win around, but I don't see it happening against Tampa, and I definitely don't see it happening against Boston. If, if I had my choice of Boston or Tampa, I would personally choose Tampa. I feel like the Leafs play... Which is unreal city. to say, you know? <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Like, who would have thought you'd say that two months ago? But I think stylistically, the way that the Leafs play is very similar to Tampa, and you saw it when they played each other last mm-hmm. week. Such a fun game. Up and down the ice. Lots of talent. No defense. It's great. When they played Boston... Man, like the Leafs lack of structure really like showed and in Boston's forecheck just annihilated them. They couldn't get out of the zone with control. So I feel like stylistically it's a better fit to face Tampa Bay and I would still put my money on Tampa Bay because A even if you think the teams are evenly matched, which they're not, Tampa has home ice advantage. And then you throw in the fact that Tampa has the better goaltender, the better scoring talent, the better shot differentials, the the better power play, which, I mean, the Leafs, you'd think that going into any series, they'd have the power play advantage, but with Tampa, they don't. And, man, it's, it's tough. I don't think the Leafs make it out of the first round, and if they do, I, de- I definitely don't think they make it out of the second round, which is unfortunate to say. But mm-hmm. I still think it's been a... It's funny, you want to take positives out of the season, but if I'm being honest, I think the Leafs have significantly underperformed this year. I think that they should be better given their talent and maybe getting kicked out in the first round and like in five games would be a, a good slap in the face that they need to address some things and they need to really fix their depth down the middle. They really need to address right-hand defense, which they didn't do over the off season. They added Ron Hainsey who, yeah, he's, he's a solid, like, you know, maybe number five, number four, but what you really needed to grab was a Chris Tanov, was a Mark Pissick, was a Tyson Berry was someone who can play top four minutes and play them well. And I think that's what they thought they were getting when they signed Nikita Zaitsev to that long-term extension. Hasn't happened yet. I really hope it does happen. But assuming it doesn't, they, they really need to address defense this offseason, I think. Maybe it can happen internally. Maybe uh, Timothy Liljegren can make the jump to the NHL level. I'm not sure. But if I'm, if I'm reading my crystal ball, I think the Leafs are out in the first round this year. I think they go six games, let's say, with Tampa Bay. If they face Boston, I think they go five games. But... I think it's an interesting season, a season where the players got a bit of confidence. Neilander Miner had their rough stretches at the beginning of the year and then really turned it around. Travis Dermott looks amazing and looks like he can be a top four NHL defenseman. But if we're being realistic, there were also some problems. And they didn't get out of their zone with control. They relied on the flip out and the stretch pass way too much. I think you need to look internally at yourself and look at what the problems were, why your team didn't meet expectations, and how you can go about fixing those so that you can improve next year. Because I think the Leafs should be in a situation like Tampa Bay, where they have the best forward core in the NHL, a very solid goaltender, and some decent defensemen. You know, Victor Hedman is amazing. I think Morgan Riley is amazing. Anton Stroman's really good. I think Jake Gardner's really good. Mikhail Sergachev, really good young defenseman who can move the puck. I think Travis Dermott fits that definition. So I think the teams are very similar. Yet they had two very different results this year. So I think you need to ask yourself, why was that? And what can Toronto do to reach that level? And I hope they address that this offseason. And I hope that they come back in the 2018-2019 season looking like the team that we thought we were going to get this year. Because we've seen a a taste of it for the past couple weeks. But they're still not as good as they should be, if I'm being realistic. They have so much talent. They have so much offensive ability. Yet they can't get out of their zone with control. So something needs to be done there. So... Not a bad season, but definitely not a good season in my books when you consider the expectations, at least from people like me who thought that this team could legitimately contend given that their best players were on ELCs. So now, I hope the, this the, is the something that's... The season I isn't hope over
0: yet. Like... <laughs>
1: watch me everything I say be wrong they sweep Tampa, sweep Boston go on a beautiful cup run and face Vegas in the final it'll be great so hopefully I'm wrong about everything I just said.
0: With, with, how, with how this season has gone I feel like that's not like too far out of the re- the realm of possibility and I, one other thing I worry about and I, you don't want to harp on this for too long is I worry that if something like that happens they end up going the other way where they're like okay we need to sign Rom- Roman Pollock to a two year extension you know. It's, where we're it's 2013
1: two- all over again where they, you know, they made the playoffs they made it seven games against Boston and then they decided to trade for Dave Bolin, sign David Clarkson, and it was the beginning of the end. Yeah. So I mean, I you don't I, want to. I don't like think that I don't that think
0: that they'll much. go there, but you know, it's it's a worry. And uh, I guess one other thing that I want to say before I let you go is I feel like if the Leafs get end up getting screwed in the playoff format, then there might be some change. Because <laughs> it's like, okay, you don't want like two million some odd fans flooding uh, your inbox all the, t- all the time basically saying, what the hell is this playoff format? Why the hell do we have to play the Bruins? And why the hell is this series over after four games? I don't like this whatsoever. We should be playing... Uh, Metro opponent uh, in the wild Card X you know I that feel would like
1: be it, So NHL wouldn't it like after Chicago being outed in the first round last Year and then if Toronto gets outed in the first round This year they're like all right our big market teams are, are Getting out in the first round against really good teams We need to change it like how NHL would that be, be I know amazing. right
0: and, and I remember last year I was like I was like okay the Blue Jackets for a period of time They actually were first and uh, the Metro because that winning streak, and then they, you know, kind of slid down the stretch. They didn't do so hot, and so they ended up being a, a third, and they ended, they got the the pleasure of facing the Penguins. They ended up taking, I believe, it was five six games. Bobrovsky didn't have a great series,
1: no. and that was yeah, it was unfortunate. But I,
0: I just remember thinking, I'm like, you had this absolutely historical season, and then this is what we get to show for it. It's like, oh my goodness, I, I can't, I couldn't even believe it. And I remember the matchup being, uh, if it was actually like from the points. They would have ended up having to place the sixth seed, who was a wild, uh, ended up, I think, ended up being a wild card team from the Metro. So, it like how it makes sense at all, like, you know, it doesn't fit in to the, uh, they wouldn't face an Atlantic team. It's like, okay, uh, this is all just messed up. And I think it's the reformatting, I think, is something that a lot of people are going to need to watch this next offseason because I feel like there's going to be a lot of people harping on it even more so with some really fascinating teams involved, especially when you think about. The Atlantic, and then you think about the Central uh, and the Western Conference.
1: It's funny. The Atlantic got harped on as this horrible um, division for the entire year. And teams four through eight, that is absolutely true. But Boston and Tampa are the two best teams in the NHL. And Toronto could come third in the NHL in points. And your reward would be Tampa Bay in the first round on the road. Exactly. think of how asinine that is. It's It's unbelievable.
0: It's unbelievable. Now, Ian, I want to give you the floor. I want you to tell me where we can find you on Twitter, where we can find your writing, where we can find your podcast, and then I guess plug anything that you'd really like.
1: Um, Plug anything I really like. Um, Oh, is this the the wink, wink, nudge, nudge? Talk about Artemi Panarin for any (laughs) Blue Jackets fans that are that are listening. But you know, before I do that. I, I I love him, but uh, let me quickly plug some of my stuff. So on Twitter, I'm regress Ian because I'm funny, and that's a pun because my name's Ian. Uh, I write for the Leafs Nation, I, the Leafs Geeks podcast, you can find on SoundCloud, iTunes, uh, Stitcher, Google Play, all, all those things. Uh, I wrote recently about Morgan Riley and how he's been performing like a number one defenseman this season, and I kind of broke down all the numbers to prove that he's been playing just as well as guys like... Doughty and Hedman and Latang and a lot of people don't realize it, but he's been amazing this year. I know he had the, uh, the elbow injury and he hasn't been 100% since coming back from the injury because God forbid someone be human and not be 100% coming back from an injury. But if you look at his, uh, his performance throughout the entire season, he's been excellent. He's been amazing. So if you want to check out that piece, uh, I'd appreciate it. I put a lot of effort into it. And if I want to plug one more thing. It's that Artemi Panarin is one of the best players in the NHL. After Kucherov and Tarasenko, I think he might be the third best winger in hockey. The way that that guy drives play up the ice, the way he gets clean zone exits, clean zone entries, generates shots, generates shot assists. He's an absolute freak, and I love watching him play hockey, except against the Leafs when he generates, what, what did you guys have, 57 shots left
0: last night? I think so.
1: Please never face us again. I hate him when he faces us.
0: He skates with Dubois and uh, Atkinson, but he was skating with Dubois and Anderson. And for a period of time, their Corsi 4 percentage was the top in the league like for a line and it was very very close to being one of the top uh, ever since being tracked but then at the, towards the end when they I, basically the third, second and third line was completely injured they were you know getting used almost 20 to 21 minutes a game and then I ended up going back down but they were on such an insane pace and i can tell you like for a fact look like taking like the deep dive in those numbers is that Panarin was the catalyst on that so
1: and it's funny there were if you looked at the top 5 lines in the NHL early in the year um one of them was a Panarin line in Columbus, and another one was a Panarin line in Columbus. <laughs> like he's just he's so good at driving play up the ice, generating shots, generating chances. Everyone talked about how amazing Patrick Kane was when he won the MVP. And for what it's worth, like, yeah, he, he scored a ton of points. But look what happened to him after Panarin left. Like Panarin was driving a lot of that. I think he's one of the more underappreciated superstars in the league. And I love watching him play. He's so good at hockey.
0: Exactly. And I I can't wait to see what ends up happening this next offseason, whether or not the Blue Jackets are able to re sign him, and especially with what he's going to probably command, too. That's one of those things where you're like, oh my gosh, he's going to be, if he's a UFA like I, I can't even fathom and put that into context are they uh all like with all of that it's like
1: also oh worenski's going to win a norris at some point in his career seth jones is pretty good i mean i mean uh, Bobrovsky's all right so so your columbus team's looking pretty decent these days
0: you see this is this is why ian's such a great guest i have other people on and they don't praise the blue jackets and i leave with a sour taste in my mouth but you know now ian's uh you know praising the blue jackets and i'm happy and i'm like okay i need to put this out as quickly as possible so everyone can hear this also, underappreciated
1: really underappreciated top four right-handed defenseman, uh, Savard. David Savard, is that his name? Yeah. <laughs> he is really, really good. He's propelled Jack Johnson to the point where you can get a first-round pick for him. That's insane.
0: Exactly. And what's interesting is that last year they were one of the best defensive payers. This year it hasn't been so hot because defensemen have been injured. Ryan Murray, his, uh, who's had a, who had a very good first 20-some-odd games, and he's been injured ever since. Like, actually— Like to the point of where, oh my gosh, this guy could end up generating the trade value that they thought he was going to this past summer, and now. But then Savard and Johnson were used too much; they weren't used properly, and now they've kind of just fallen off a cliff. And I'm I'm hoping Savard can find it again once Johnson is traded, but it remains to be seen. And I wonder if there's going to end up uh, if 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 a trade's facilitated, how it's going to work out. Because I know that the way that the Blue Jackets. Are trying to set this up. They want another scoring forward, and they think that they have enough defensive depth that they could end up working out without uh, Johnson. So I'm I'm going to be really interested to see. And so a trade that has been, you know gone in my mind, and of course, like we could go on about this for like another 15 minutes. So this is the Blue Jackets Geeks podcast right <laughs> now. This is great. <laughs> exactly. Is that a trade that for me makes sense, and it may not make sense for you, and uh, and I know obviously it would upset least fans to no end. Bozak for Johnson for whatever reason just makes sense to me money wise it almost lines up exactly need wise it almost lines up exactly but the what problem is that he's but the thing is, is he's a left-handed defenseman and, the, and, he and he's, he's bad. bad well exactly and he's bad but that's the <laughs> but that's the issue is that people around the league absolutely love him so whatever the hell like I think which I don't think he's you know a great defenseman People like think very highly of him. I just think
1: he's Rasmus
0: Ristolainen. He was
1: drafted high. He had this offensive production and he's just never driven play. And it's uh, yeah, I don't I don't get why people like Jack Johnson. I'm sorry. He's just not good. Uh, He's he can make he can be an effective bottom pairing defenseman. But consider his contract. It's I mean, the Leafs already have a a number five defenseman making four and a half million. They, They don't need another one.
0: Exactly. Sorry.
1: That was a jab at Nikita Zaitsev. I'm sorry.
0: No, it's it's all good. But I I'm just saying if anybody needs to watch out for it and I'm going to you guys can hold me to it if this happens is I feel like Jack Johnson and the Maple Leafs feel like it feels like a good pairing. Just, oh, just Chris just, Tanev,
1: Chris Tanev, and no one else.
0: No, no, I, I get it, but if for whatever reason, I just feel like with the contracts there that they have, and for what the Blue Jackets want, that could be something. And then there's possibly conditional picks going back. It it just feels right, and I'm I, that's that's how I want to end it. Does
1: not feel right to me at all. It feels <laughs> so wrong that I'm just gonna hit the the end call button here.
0: This exactly. Hey, I don't I, I don't blame you one bit. So, uh, Ian, I I appreciate you coming on, uh, humoring me for a little bit to talk about Jack Johnson, uh possibly being traded for the maple leafs and we'll have to do it some sometime soon hopefully uh, maybe around playoff time
1: yeah hopefully uh, when columbus and toronto meet in the conference finals it's a date
0: <laughs> exactly i love it thanks ian
1: all right take care sam